welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Sochi Kazador, Head of Platform and Builder Growth at Cello Foundation. Sochi has extensive experience shaping strategy into execution to drive growth and scale operations. Prior to C-Labs, Sochi spent 15 years driving growth at Cisco, where she managed a $1 billion investment portfolio and led the expansion into 26 emerging markets. Sochi is the granddaughter of Mexican migrant farm workers and one of the first in her family to graduate from college. She understands firsthand how access to basic financial tools can change lives. Sochi holds a master's degree from Stanford Graduate School of Business. In today's episode, we discuss using Celo to democratize financial services, promoting customer adoption of crypto, potential use cases for NFTs, and much more. We end the session with a rapid fire round of questions. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Sochi, and thank you so, so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, really excited to have you here. How are you doing? I'm great and very excited to be here. Great. Well, let's jump right into it. For listeners that might not know, could you just give a quick background of your career uh, and how you became involved in fintech? Yes, absolutely. I'll start at the beginning. My family is actually from a very small town in Mexico with a population of 200. And uh, daughter of Mexican migrant farm workers raised in East San Jose, first in my family to go to college and work in tech. I was an executive for a Fortune 500 company. And I like to say I sort of like traversed both worlds of Silicon Valley. So the high-tech, fast-paced world of the Valley. And then also, I think, an area that most people aren't familiar with, right? Um, And that is like areas like East San Jose, East Oakland, East Palo Alto. And was really just struck by the dichotomy in the Valley by like the wealth and the lack of opportunity and was drawn to this intersection of technology and impact. So I quit my job, went to business school and discovered blockchain and was just, again, really drawn to the potential of democratizing wealth and democratizing technology. And I remember reading a book and just getting goosebumps by the potential of how it was being used in refugee camps. And I started volunteering for a group of Stanford PhD students that were working on a crypto project to basically mine crypto on their phones and volunteering for another organization called Sheet of D6, which is about bringing more diversity into blockchain and crypto. And I discovered Celo and was really just drawn to the mission, building an open financial system that creates conditions of prosperity for all. Do you remember which book you read that got you initially interested in, in blockchain? I've been looking for the best resource to ramp up in that area. Yeah, I loved Digital Gold, I written by Nathaniel Popper, so a New York Times writer, and was just really drawn to the backstory of crypto and the potential. And he's just a great storyteller. I recommend that book to, to many people who are curious about crypto. Yeah, I'll absolutely add that to my list. But I just wanted to double click on She256 as yes. well. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about, about your role there? Yeah, Sheet56 is an amazing organization that was born out of UC Berkeley by a group of, you know, these amazing female undergrads who noticed that they were oftentimes the only women in the room during crypto conferences and uh, and crypto talks. And so they took it upon themselves to start this organization to really kind of make it easier for people to join crypto. It's been an amazing experience. So I lead a lot of the partnerships and um, a lot of the business development with other blockchain projects. And 
I think that there have been a couple of initiatives that are really beneficial probably to this audience as well. One is a mentor program, which basically pairs individuals who are curious about crypto or earlier in their career in crypto with individuals that are more advanced, right? And have a more established career. And what's really phenomenal about this program and just the community around Sheet 56 is you see individuals like Linda Shea from Scalar Capital, Tara Tan from IDEO Collab, really, you know, I think leaders who are interested in giving back and who are participating in mentoring young individuals who are curious about crypto. There are also some crypto resources on the website, so you can access it at sheet56.org. For those of you that are interested in kind of some of the some early learnings. Um, and then there are a number of, um, of events, virtual events, and hope to launch in-person events soon. Again, for folks that really want to explore the space and learn more. Has the program expanded beyond uh, past the West Coast as, as well? I would think it'd be really cool to have something like that here. Yeah, definitely. And there is a partnership with an organization, Women in Blockchain, that was started out at MIT. And so I think always interested in establishing, you know, more chapters. We've got folks that are volunteering in the organization from Colombia, you know, from Korea, from Turkey, really, I think, around the world. So if anybody's interested in learning more, happy to chat more about that as well. That's amazing. We need to catch up at yeah. Wharton here. So uh, we'll talk about that afterwards. But let's dive a little bit deeper into Cello. So can you talk to me a little bit about what the company does, different products you've launched, uh, and maybe even how you initially decided to join the company? Yeah, definitely. So Cello is a mobile-first blockchain. Its mission is to build an open financial system that creates conditions of prosperity for all. It is similar to Ethereum. It's a fork of Ethereum, but was actually optimized for mobile. And sort of the history behind that is in the early days, the company spent a lot of time in the field and emerging markets to try and understand what was working, what was not working. And so there are pilots that, that the team did in areas like Tanzania, Kenya, Colombia, Argentina, to name a few, really just to explore kind of what some of the gaps were and how blockchain technology could be used. And I think one of the biggest pieces that I'm sure you know many of you listening are aware of is that blockchain can be a little bit difficult and complex to understand at first. And so Celo has this phone number mapping, which effectively takes a lot of the complexity, abstracts a lot of the complexity of using blockchain so that an everyday user can access blockchain, access crypto, and, and simply do that by knowing somebody's mobile phone, which is really amazing. I work on ecosystem growth. And so a lot of my work is focused on really how do we grow the community in some of the emerging markets, but also how do we nurture young entrepreneurs that are interested in building applications on blockchain. And I think there are a few that I can definitely highlight. One of the earliest and uh, I think the most known products is a product called Valora. And again, you can download it directly from like the App Store or from Google Play. You know, what's really nice about it is that it works on older phone models. You don't need to have like the newest phone model for it to work. And again, you can send cross-border payments. You can connect the wallet to other applications, perhaps if you're in DeFi, and really use it seamlessly. And so that's one exciting example. But also another one that's kind of close to my heart and really speaks to the mission of Cello is a product called Impact Market. And so that is a product that's focused on universal basic income. It was one of the earliest projects that was built on Cello. They have helped 120 communities around the world 
1.4 million in UBI has been issued to about 40,000 beneficiaries. And it's just, I think, really great when you see communities start to grow locally and organically. And so there's a community in Brazil, a favela, who are using Valora to receive their UBI payments. And then they're walking down to the local store to make payments in crypto for groceries and mobile phone top-ups. And so it's really amazing to, to start to see these applications used in areas that need it most. And to make sure I'm understanding correctly, so Celo has its own blockchain. It's predominantly used for peer-to-peer uh, payments. But on top of that, uh, other apps are being built, such as the impact market for universal basic income and the opportunity for significant ecosystem expansion. Am I summarizing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, think of the blockchain as more of an infrastructure, right? It's open and it's permissionless. Anybody can build on top of it. And, you know, applications are built on built on top, like the two that I just mentioned. But what's like really amazing is they're like, we're starting to see these applications come together and almost form like a constellation, right, of products and services that people are able to access again, like through the blockchain, which is which is really exciting. Very cool. And going back to the, the P2P payments portion, I think a lot of listeners will initially think of Venmo as a, as a comparable company. Uh, can you talk about why payments through blockchain, what kind of advantages that has over payments with a traditional currency? Yeah, definitely. So I think like, especially if we think about like the cases of like, or the case of remittances and cross-border payments, it's it's especially quite compelling. And when you look at, again, like just taking it back to emerging markets, you know, you have like 6 billion mobile phone subscriptions around the world. We're seeing like the pace of smartphone adoption, like growing, like just dramatically, right? To the point where I think it's outpacing, you know, adoption of like traditional financial tools and services. And so now being able to access directly on your phone, your bank, while that may seem kind of a given for those of us that work, that live and work in kind of more, what I would call like Western countries that have access to Venmo, it's something that's quite new, right? For for folks that are in emerging markets. And when we look at cross-border payments, there's just so much potential because the cost to send funds on Celo is one one hundredth of a cent, right? Versus like a traditional cross-border payment, which can have fees that are two, sometimes 5% even, right? And when you're looking at smaller transactions that can take a, a large chunk of, of that money for, again, like individuals that probably need it the most. And can you talk a little bit about what the experience looks like for the end users and what kind of currencies they're transacting with? Yes. So one of the really unique things about Celo is the onboarding process. So on Valora, I can actually send you funds and it's held in escrow so that you can onboard very easily, right? Whereas in most traditional crypto tools, you need to be able to have like funds effectively to kind of pay gas. So this feeless onboarding is like is quite quite compelling. It's quite new, I think, in the in the industry as a well, whole, which is great. But the the what we're seeing kind of people do and like people kind of transact in terms of onboarding is a couple of different ways. So I talked about, you know, some folks are receiving cello via like universal basic income. 
Some folks are receiving cello through microwork, right? And so there are applications where, you know, you can perform micro tasks and get paid effectively in crypto, right? And so that, that onboarding is unique. There's also kind of learn to earn models that are out, that are out there that exist. The most traditional way of like onboarding would be through like a centralized exchange, right? Or a peer to peer marketplace. And so this is where you would exchange fiat for crypto. The cryptocurrencies that are on Celo are, um, are stable coins. Um, they're algorithmic stable coins. There are two, Celo dollar and Celo euro. And those are the transactions that kind of we, we kind of see the most, right? They, because they're stable, they're not as volatile as other crypto assets. Um, and so people tend to use them more in like the everyday transactions. Um, and what's unique about the Celo platform is that anybody can propose a stable currency. And so there's a proposal now to introduce the Celo Real. And you can imagine the adoption of stable coins is, you know, quite strong in countries that historically have had devaluation of their currency or like highly, highly volatile currency as well. Yeah, I know. So for example, like Argentina is one of those countries that has a highly volatile currency. I know there's a significant demand in the country for USD and more recently for a stablecoin pegged to USD. What kind of countries have you seen the greatest demand for this product and the greatest adoption for this product or which, which countries in particular? Yeah, so Celo's community is quite global. Just to share a few statistics, we recently passed 1.4 million wallet addresses, which is great. We just launched Mainnet in April of last year, so it's fairly new. The community is also quite global. So we have community members that are in 113 countries around the world. Some of the countries kind of where we see kind of the most focus on and most growth in are countries like Brazil, India, Turkey, Mexico, Argentina, Colombia, you know, areas in Africa, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, and Uganda. And we're seeing just, I think, again, this increased demand, right, for countries like Turkey. I think also there's big demand for a stable currency. You mentioned Argentina as well. And what's really great is not just seeing the use of CUSD in some of these countries, but also be in a situation where individuals are able to have their money work for them by participating in, in DeFi. One example that I like to give is a project that we worked on in Colombia with a group of Venezuelan refugees. And so these are individuals who didn't have access to traditional banking services, literally had migrated to Colombia in search of a better life. And we're struggling, right? Just to have access, you know, to a job or have access to, you know, a basic loan. And we gave them $500 loan in CUSD that they were able to purchase a motorized bicycle. We're obviously in the middle of a pandemic. You know, there's high demand for courier services. A lot of people are ordering food, ordering supplies online. And with this motorized bicycle, these individuals were not only able to double their productivity, but they were also to double and sometimes even quadruple their incomes, right? And so we saw, again, like this need for having access to this stable currency, this, this loan, right? But also really being able to access it and really kind of change their lives, which I think is quite phenomenal. That's an incredible story. And I think that really encapsulates why a lot of people are excited about fintech 
and in particular, why a lot of people are excited about DeFi. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. It seems like Celo has expanded internationally very quickly and very successfully, uh, but I'm sure that you've encountered a decent amount of challenges with adoption and teaching customers along the way. Can you talk a little bit about what the biggest challenges have been with customer adoption? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges for the industry as a whole is how do you educate individuals on on blockchain and crypto in a way that is easy to understand, right? Um, and how do we, again, abstract some of the difficulties of having to understand, you know, what your public and private key is. And I think, again, with the phone number mapping, that's something that's one of the big benefits of, of Celo. But in terms of learning, you know, our approach has been like, how do we go into communities and how do we, you know, educate them on on crypto as a whole? Um, we did some work last year with a group of female coders in Mexico City that were basically just attending a coding camp. They were curious about tech and we started to really just educate them on blockchain and crypto. And it was really just, I think, amazing to kind of see their the potential, they started to kind of think about like even building projects on Celo, which was again, you know, really great to see. But I think, you know, that learning curve of like, how do you educate people on blockchain and crypto is something that, that we really want to focus on. And I think there's, there are a lot of areas in the space that I think it's just important to make sure that folks are educated and not really going into some of this blindly. And talking a bit about your specific role as head of uh, ecosystem growth, I'm curious what kinds of partnerships you're most looking forward to developing or trying to develop over the next couple of years uh, for Cello. Yeah, I mean, definitely there have been like a few partnerships that we announced earlier this year that I think are quite exciting and compelling. And so, you know, one of my colleagues worked on a partnership with Deutsche Telekom and think about the potential of mobile phones and mobile adoption and crypto there. I mean, I think that's like quite impactful partnerships with PayU, again, to make it like more accessible and opera so that folks can make purchases quite easily on on their phone and, and on ramp to Cello. Some of the projects that I'm most excited about is we recently worked on something called DeFi for the People. And so that was a $100 million fund that we established really with this goal of, you know, how do we make DeFi more accessible? If you think about DeFi in particular, it's quite complex, right? The user experience can be difficult, complex to understand. And I think the focus of this fund is really just how do we continue to push the envelope in terms of making it more accessible? And what's really phenomenal about this is that this was an initiative that was started not just by Celo, but by a group of projects who are committed to this. Projects like Ave, Sushi, Curve, and others, all with this goal, again, of making DeFi more accessible to the everyday person. There's three phases, obviously, a goal like that doesn't happen overnight, right? And there's three phases to this initiative. The first phase is very much focused on, like, how do we build out this robust ecosystem, right, on on Celo? You know, in order to achieve this mission of prosperity, you need to have the appropriate, like, financial building blocks and primitives that are on the platform, and I can give a couple of examples of that, in a, um, and we can dive deeper in that if, if you want. And then the second is, you know, really, how do we promote kind of more native mobile experiences, right? If people, you know, don't have access to a desktop, right? How do we, you know, make it really easy for them to, to transact and to perform basic tasks on their phone? 
And then the third phase is really about how do we create products that are really geared towards individuals that perhaps have like lower risk appetite, right? And probably aren't as like familiar with crypto. And when you look at the space as a whole, if you were to think about two by two in terms of knowledge of crypto and appetite for risk, I think most of the DeFi projects today are built in that upper right-hand quadrant, right? And so how do we kind of create products that are built for individuals, again, like who who need them most? I would love to go back to that point you were making about the, the building blocks as part of the ecosystem. The first thing I can think of is something as simple as an entity that acts like a bank and has funds that are collateralized, basically. Yes. Is that the kind of uh, building blocks you're talking about? Yes, exactly. So like a borrowing and lending market, right, is like one example, decentralized exchange and an AMM, automated market maker. You know, these are just kind of like a few of the primitives, right, that are needed in order to make this work. And you need that as a base for other applications to kind of function. And, you know, if we want to get to the point where we're like really providing under collateralized lending, like that example of Columbia that I gave, you need kind of a lending and borrowing, a borrowing market. But what's really exciting is that we're starting to see, you know, again, like this concept of building blocks, people to take this to a new level. And so there's an application called Moolah Market that's currently on Celo that is mobile first, again, so you can access it directly on your mobile phone. But what's really amazing is that in their roadmap in the near future, they're going to be able to allow users to delegate some of their rewards and yield to causes that they care about most. And some of those causes could be like UBI projects I mentioned today. It could be like a reforestation project, could be, you know, something else, right? But the idea is like, how do we take some of these building blocks and continue to kind of see them expand? Cello has been able to attract a number of big name DeFi and fintech investors. I'm just curious how the team has gone about doing that and what you're looking for when you're looking for a partner. Yeah, I mean, I think that like with business development, oftentimes you're looking for what are the shared goals, right? What are you trying to achieve together and how you can help each other achieve those goals? And I think when you look at kind of like what I would call like more traditional partnerships that we've had, more commercial partnerships, like they're curious about like the innovation of blockchain, right? One partnership I didn't talk about is also we've kind of seen the humanitarian space, right? So like the Grameen Foundation partnered with Cello to provide humanitarian aid transfers, right? In that particular case, they were really looking at, you know, again, like an innovative model, innovative model to distribute aid. Like they were literally going to send medical supplies and food, right? Physical goods. And so working on something like blockchain enabled them to better distribute that aid, right? But also kind of have more financial controls and operational, I would say, efficiencies than they had historically, right? So um, there were just a number of like, savings that were that resulted as a result of using cello but also you know again with some of those controls they were able to kind of identify like different like fraud attempts that were happening right and so there was like increased like security on on the platform which i think was like really great to see and so that's an example of kind of one partnership where we they you know again they were curious about like crypto how do you innovate on it what it can do for their organization and then in the case of like crypto partnerships some of the discussion points have been access to this mobile first technology, right? Mobile is the future. We sort of coined a term in Cello 
called MoFi, which is mobile first, um, our take on, you know, I think on like some of the other trends like DeFi, but I think we're seeing a lot of projects really recognize that mobile is here to stay. It's the future of kind of what we're seeing just as important is really this mission. And I think that speaks to the power of this DeFi for the People initiative, which is, you know, this this mission that Celo has, it's quite unique in the industry. And a lot of the projects that we've worked on, like the Columbia lending project, like a microwork project in, in Kenya, and, you know, a number of others have been like really with this mission in mind. And I think it's exciting, you know, when we talk to partners that, They have this aspiration, you know, as well, um, and this goal. And that's exciting, I think, when we kind of can imagine this future where we're, you know, I think this is really the promise of crypto. It's why I got into it. It was this potential of like democratizing wealth and democratizing technology. And I think those are the the partnerships that I'm the most excited about having. It's really interesting that one of the first companies you mentioned there was Grameen Bank, because when you gave the example of the motorcycle loan, in my head, I was thinking this is like in many ways like the next step up technology-wise yes. from what Grameen Bank, Bank has been looking to do and what Kiva had been looking to do. So really, really cool that you you brought that up uh, yourself. Um, maybe let's zoom out a little bit now and talk about fintech as a whole, maybe beyond like cross-border payments. What in particular excites you about fintech and DeFi for the next uh, three to five years? Yeah, um, gosh, there's so much to say about the space. And I think we're seeing like interesting signals, right? So one area that I'm really excited about is this intersection of DeFi and NFTs. And, you know, again, just going back to the mission of Cello, it's really phenomenal to see like these very talented, you know, artists be able to have access to, you know, a different group of individuals who are interested in like purchasing their art, right? And so you see I think like projects like OpenSea is an example, Foundation and a few others that are providing that outlet. And, you know, there's been work that's been happening, you know, in the Philippines specifically around, you know, how NFTs are really kind of like changing the economy for like some of these artists. And and, uh, and I think Colombia is another area that, that was highlighted and, and it's been really great to see. I think this intersection of DeFi and NFTs is like, how do you also take this like beyond even just the creator economy, right? And so there's an there's a project that I was working with called Nested Finance that basically is taking this concept of a portfolio, right? And so how do you have like an investment portfolio? And I may want to share my secret sauce with you, but how do I receive some benefit of doing that? And so they're basically creating NFTs of investment portfolios where so you're able to sort of like it's a data sovereignty, right? You're able to kind of like share that information with others and, you know, receive like a a reward as a, as a result. And so I think that's one example of like how we're again, putting some of the power back into the people that I think is really exciting. I think this gaming, what we've been seeing there in the space has been like really phenomenal, like play to earn models. I think we're going to continue to see them grow. I think it's like one of, you know, it's one of the easiest ways I think for people to conceptualize crypto, right? And like, how do you even think about this? Just like we talk about interoperability across chains, right? Interoperability of like being able to use something that you earn on one game, like in another, right? And so I think there is a lot of potential specifically in the kind of like that play to earn space. And I think there's been a lot of focus recently on like DeFi 2.0 and like what's next. And so you're looking at kind of 
bonds um, and other aspects that are on that are in crypto that are emerging as well that are quite exciting. And I'm looking forward to kind of see like how that evolves over the next few years as well. A couple of weeks back, I had a the head of a blockchain accelerator come on the show. And she also answered this question the same way, started by answering it uh, with NFTs for artists. So very, very cool that you guys both started the same way. And for listeners, maybe that's a, a space to watch out for coming up. The next thing I wanted to do was jump into the rapid fire round of our conversation. Um, oh, but anything okay. else you wanted to chat about before we do that? No, all good. All right, let's do it. We're hoping to get answers here in about 10 seconds or less. Oh uh, my ready goodness. To go? Pressure is on. <laughs> Pressure is on. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do it. When you're not working, how do you like to spend your time? I have a three-year-old, so it definitely is all about him right now. What is your favorite book? Definitely The Alchemist. That's, ah, I'm so happy you said that. That's my favorite book as well. Yeah. What is your hidden talent? Most people don't know that I was actually a dancer and I performed at Royal Albert Hall in London. So when I'm not in crypto, you can see me like boogieing, even if it's with my three-year-old in the living room. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. If you could have dinner with anyone that are alive, who would it be? Wow. Okay. So this is totally rapid fire, but like, I'm just drawn to Cesar Chavez. And again, like his, just the movement that he created for farm workers. And again, that's like personally my story, but yeah, I would love to have dinner with him. Yeah. That's a great answer. Last question. You can take longer on this one. What does success look like for you and Cello moving forward? I think just continuing to learn, right? I mean, for me, I joined this space because it was all about this intersection of crypto and impact or, you know, tech and impact. And, you know, I want to continue to learn. And, you know, I think continuing to see the ecosystem and thrive is going to be really great. So right now we're at 2,100 developers across 113 countries. You know, I want to see that number continue to grow and have more people build and imagine like new projects on Celo. Yeah, that's a great uh, future to envision. And I think probably a good place to wrap up today's episode as well. So, Soshi, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, thanks for bearing with my uh, probably more elementary questions on the DeFi space. Uh, appreciate your answers and your insight. Uh, it's just really great to get to talk to you. It was wonderful being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.